I don't claim to have any autonomy in here. I was going to ask you a question, but I forgot what I was going to ask. Well, that's your fault, Mia. It's just bad reporting. It's bad report. I'm not a journalist. I know. Mm. That's bad podcasting. That doesn't really bad, bad. Yes, it. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, if you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Logan. And this is the Milk and Toast Podcast. You see how I'm used to saying if you're just tuning in twice? Because usually I get interrupted, but nobody interrupted me this time. <laughs> yeah, I was yawning instead. This is going to be a way different this is, podcast experience. This is way different. <laughs> Much more peaceful. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Logan, and this is the Milk and Toast Podcast. Uh, I'm here with my... Uh, <laughs> I'm here with my girlfriend, Sarah. Oh, wow. You yeah. did it. Yeah. You took the plunge. I took the plunge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, how you doing, Sarah? I'm all right. You all right? Okay, good. <laughs> that's, that's what I've got. I'm the worst at introducing this show. All right. Uh, as always, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Uh, like the show, share the show, subscribe to the show, um, and all that good stuff. That's all I get for that. That's, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'll do all the announcements at the end. Um, so, what's new with you? Um, it's just weird because you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> um. I don't know. None of you know me at all. So everything. No, all of them know you. You were on uh, episode 20, remember? Yeah, but. What? Oh. You weren't my girlfriend then? <laughs> yeah, was I was like, just your friend. You were just my friend. <laughs> <laughs> now the pressure's on. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, now it's just us two and your cat is walking on your computer. <laughs> uh, well, he didn't. he didn't ruin anything this time so we're fine so logan and i are very peaceful apollo on the other hand is on a different level um creating every kind of mischief you could imagine do you like new york so far um yeah i do i mean we came from the opposite of new york yeah and needed to get out so right now it's good although all of my friends who've been here for a long time are like i hate the city so that's funny because like all the past week, like I've been talking to people who said that they're trying to leave New York. Like they've been here for like 12, 14 years and they're like, oh, I'm done. I don't see New York City as a long term solution. I just see it as something that is right for for this moment. Really? Mm-hmm. Like how, how short term? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how long you're going to be in New York for. <laughs> I want to move again. But for a long time because because you're right, moving was horrible and I don't want to do it. I don't want to move. If we move, let's not move across the country. Let's not. Let's get people to move our stuff. Yeah, let's do that. If they steal anything, we'll <laughs> just fine. chalk it up as a tip, you know, for driving that far and long. Yeah, it's like we, you know, we're in this tiny little slightly crappy apartment but it's like do we want to move even if we do start making more money because i don't want to have to go through that again i think we have a pretty good space like the amount of space you're right it's have, a very good first crappy apartment yeah it's not even really that crappy yeah anyways, anyways let's talk about something real 
You want to talk about something real? Sure. Okay. I want to talk about this veganism thing and uh, being in a couple. Oh, of, yeah. Yeah. So it's an, I don't, I don't like telling people that I'm vegan because there's so much, so much vegan hate out there. Well, now you've told everybody <laughs> I mean, that you're vegan. Yeah. Unfortunately. Really and there, everybody. there's so, there's a lot of elitism in it too. Like this idea of purity, like, you know, if you accidentally, I don't know. Everyone's trying to out vegan everybody else. Like, oh, you have leather shoes or you, um, you know, purchase this product that might have been tested on animals. But I don't know. I That's really hard for me because so many, like, to me, veganism is about doing the best that you can, like, within your capability. Mm. So, like, the majority of medication is tested on animals, but that mean doesn't mean I'm not going to take medicine if I need it right. because it's just basically impossible for me to get that. I don't have the funds to only purchase like $200 vegan leather shoes. So if I see shoes that are secondhand that are quality, I'll buy that. I don't like to buy things that are made from animals new um mm. but if it's already there i just how old does something do have to that. be like how old does a fur coat have to be for you to buy i won't buy a fur coat what if it's like a fur coat from like a blinken's i just don't even like fur coats <laughs> what about like a mink hat see all the vegans are gonna come for me now because because why i do own leather but it's not leather that i mean it's leather that was in my family isn't canvas like a type of leather like when you wear like canvas shoes or stuff like that no no okay canvas is usually made out of plants really no oh, okay. yeah oh, all right. i mean i'm sure there's also anyways but it is interesting um so some people like it i guess it's safer to say plant-based instead of vegan because there's a certain amount of like that you have to be vegan in every aspect of your life, which mm. veganism itself is very inaccessible for a lot of people. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you can be vegan anywhere, everywhere. But, you know, there are food deserts, um, especially in, in poorer parts of um, even the city. It's And <laughs> sure, you can live off of beans and rice because that is cheap, but... Mm if you're going to be, thrive on a plant-based diet, then you have to eat from a lot of different food groups and that does, and you have to eat more, like more calories. So it does add up. I know vegans like to say, oh, it's cheaper because you don't have to buy meat. And while that's true, it's not a restrictive diet. You're not just taking stuff out of your diet. You're adding stuff in mm. um, and you have to eat more in order to fill the same amount the same caloric needs yeah so so you're to eating me, more you're eating, to me the price is about the, the same. same yeah um or more if you you know want to splurge and get like a vegan cheese or um mm. that kind of stuff which is nice it's nice to have those kinds of decadent things and not always you know just be eating vegetables like people think we do 
So, yeah, I know. Because I was just thinking about, like, at the beginning of our relationship, yeah. I was like, is what this vegan? What do you vegan? eat? Vegetables? Yeah. Are eggs vegan? <laughs> <laughs> is, is butter vegan? <laughs> well, that's a no. good question. <laughs> it's not a good question. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Anyways, if you didn't know, um, I, I'm vegan or plant-based for, like, four years now, and Logan... Um, is a carnivore. You can tell I am. I talk like it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, really I don't do. know what I was thinking. <laughs> I just really go out of my way not to judge people on their. Is own it journeys. hard? Like, is it hard being with somebody who doesn't like subscribe to veganism? Wait, have you been with somebody before who was a vegan? Yes. Okay. It was great. That was great. <laughs> it was just nice being able to make stuff together and eat together because feud, feud food is so communal and mm. there's a lot of intimacy there so that is nice um i mean you still eat my food all the time you just don't eat any meat or like eggs or anything yeah that's true yeah but i could have eaten more of it no that's not true it's the same amount like you just said with the uh, vegetables and stuff no i mean i i would just eat all of your food instead of just a couple oh yeah of i would starve You're <laughs> yeah right. you would starve. I just wither away <laughs> in fact that's why my vegan relationships didn't work out because i just ate all of their food all the time and there was nothing for them they died yeah this, they withered away not the, the, the relationship didn't work out they they didn't survive but like, just, that's a joke yeah. everybody no she starved these men <laughs> This is a trail of men and women just all dead, just gone. But I guess, I mean, at the beginning, I I didn't become vegan for anything but my health at the beginning. Um, and then as I started to do more research, trying to figure out what to eat and what to do, I started to realize the positive environmental um, impact and... I didn't want to contribute to animal cruelty or suffering. Yeah, well, what does that mean? Like, what? what do why? You mean? I, I know. I don't. I don't. Saying. I feel like everybody knows this information. Like, okay. I don't need to sit here and preach about it. No, no, nobody knows. Zero okay. people know. Eating plants is much more environmentally sustainable than eating meat, okay. especially because of the way that um, meat is manufactured. It's such a high and gross um amount or yeah mm. so it's not good for the environment at all do you think meat eating can ever be sustainable i think that meat eating was sustainable for a long time if you look at um other cultures especially like hunter-gatherer cultures or the indigenous groups that um used to live in, I don't want to say America because it wasn't America then, but mm. this area of land, like there were a ton of cultures that ate meat sustainably, but we eat meat gluttonously. Mm. Like the normal amount of protein, give or take, rough estimation is like, what, like 40 grams or something like that, which is not a ton of protein but it's like a one small medium portion of meat, I guess. But then typical American will, you know, have bacon for breakfast and then have lunch meat or chicken or something for, 
for lunch and then have a, you know, meatloaf or, you know, beef or steak or something for mm-hmm. dinner. Like that is a very normal diet. You're eating meat three times a day. That's way too much. We do not need to eat that. It's not healthy for us either. So anyways, but that's not the, the point of this. The point of this isn't talk to talk about veganism in that way because that rhetoric is out there. It's just that, like, sure, at the beginning of my journey, I was more militant because I was passionate about all these things I was discovering. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, if I just tell other people, then they'll also get it. And, you know, they won't want to be cruel to animals and they will want to make a positive environmental mental impact. So right. when, like somebody didn't just latch onto it. I was like, well, do they care? (laughs) Like, why don't they care? What the heck is going on? Um, But first of all, that doesn't work. Like yelling at someone, telling them that what they're doing is wrong has never worked. It just makes people Mm. dig their heels in more. Um, And, you know, it's a complicated issue because people have different um, preferences. And, you know, we've been people have been eating meat for such a long time, just historically that, um, like I understand why there is this kind of reluctance and, and battle. And yes, if, if people reduce meat, it would make them healthier. But if there's someone like you who doesn't, um, eat, who has a lot of pickiness and doesn't want to eat a lot of things. And that means that when you became vegan, you wouldn't be able to get the protein you needed. You wouldn't be able to fill the nutrient gaps. Then eating only plants is not good for you because you wouldn't be getting the nutrients that you need. So there are a whole lot of different situations out there. Um, So it's, I guess it's just about having respect for different people's journeys because first of all, I don't make decisions for other people. I can argue with someone, but no one is, I can't convince someone out of their opinions. People have to be ready to be open to something. Right. So everybody is on their own journey and it has nothing to do with me. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to eat the way I want, want to eat. Um, and I do face a lot of, even just in my own family, a lot of, criticism or making fun or all of that, which is just like, okay, you know what? I'm not sitting over here, you know, attacking you for what you're eating. So why are you doing the same to me? But I think when, um, first of all, when someone says that they're vegan, there's an automatic assumption that that person is judging you for Mm -hmm. what you're eating. And then people can get defensive and attack first. Why do you think that is? There are there are judgy vegans out there, I'm not going to lie, but I think it also makes people uncomfortable. People don't, I don't think that anybody really likes the idea of killing an animal to, to eat. Like, you know, you see a, a ton of people have pigs and cows as pets and we love to anthropomorphize things. Thank you, Disney. So I don't think anyone is super comfy with the idea of, eating meat, there's always something a little bit uncomfortable there. So when there's someone who isn't just sitting there like super validating what you're doing, it can make people uncomfortable and defensive. Mm -hmm. But I don't, 
I don't have a problem with you. I'm in the minority here. I think I was thinking about that when you said that, you know, you don't know if people are like super comfortable, like, uh, with the idea of an animal being killed because like, we don't say like, uh, we're eating pig. We say we're eating pork. pork. We yeah. don't say we're eating cow. We say we're eating beef. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we, we don't say we're eating baby cow. We say we're eating veal. Which yeah. is to- like doesn't even now, sound chicken, like English. Like fuck chickens. We just say we're eating. Chicken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, why does everyone hate chicken so much? <laughs> Everyone's super okay with that one. Chicken, <laughs> eggs, fuck them all. Um, turkey, like all poultry, really. Yeah. We don't, we don't care like about birds. the birds. <laughs> But no, what I was thinking about it is that like, you know, what made me okay eating meat, you know, and it's not so much that I don't. Okay, here's what I care about. I don't necessarily care that I'm eating another animal, but I do care about the quality of life the animal had Mm -hmm. before like they died and how they were killed. And I mean, there are. I mean, there are issues with, with, um, I forgot the word. I really forgot the word. The meatpacking industry? No, when, when you're humane, that's the word. Oh. There's issues with the word humane and whether you can humanely kill something or not and all of that. But they're just in general in our agriculture system, mm-hmm. there's so much unnecessary suffering and fear and, and cruelty. And cruelty. Like, and, yeah, sure. You can buy um, farm-raised things. A lot of the words are deceptive in marketing too. Like they'll say, "Oh, a free-range chicken," but really they have like <laughs> four square feet of roaming space, and they're kept indoors for the first two weeks of their life. So then they're scared to go outside. So, um, but you can buy that kind of stuff, but it's just so expensive, like. It, and to me, that's it's really sad about our health culture in general that it's so elitist. Like you have to have so much money in order to eat, air quotes, ethically and yeah. um, healthily, organic, all of that kind of stuff. So I think in a way, like I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but I think in a way, if I can mark up the price of like, a free range chicken and that's the way I'm supposed to raise the chicken right in the first place. But it's more expensive to do that. And I probably don't want to do that on the production end just because of the cost. Then I can like justify non free range chicken because like the mass amount of people, the majority of people are going to buy the cheaper chicken. Yeah. Right. So the majority of people are going to buy the chicken that was stuffed in the cage whereas the small amount of people that do buy the the free range chicken won't be able to so like there's a psychological thing that's going on where like you're conditioning the greater uh population to be okay with the fact that um you're torturing an animal i don't know that i don't think that i think that they just do their best not to bring it up at all like if you look on any sort of packaging even stuff that is by these like huge um food uh corporations Mm -hmm. like tyson or whatever um all of their packaging is going to have like lush green fields and the cute little barn red Mm -hmm. barn um 
and like the animals for the yeah around. for the good chicken yeah no no for all of it no that's not true uh like they have I the disagree. farm no they have the farm like if you look at like purdue or something like they'll have like the farm raised chicken and they'll have like the regular chicken and it's not that the packaging is ugly on the regular chicken it's that when you look at the regular chicken it has all the brand colors and everything on the package right probably shouldn't say the name of the company but like if you look at the i don't think we're big enough yeah. for, for purdue to come out <laughs> just shut us down <laughs> like, <laughs> like they take my laptop and everything <laughs> so like no more chicken uh, for no, you no more chicken for you bitch <laughs> um so like they take like uh the the free range chicken right it's got a different it has a different packaging on okay it. you're like right it, that it's it, that it's even more propaganda, but just yeah. the normal stuff, it's not like they're showing chickens well, no, in cages. What I'm, what I'm saying is it's like a reverse propaganda in a way, because like, if I can say, Hey, this is the good chicken, right? And you can't afford it. Then like broke people do this all the time. They're like, well, I don't need it. So then the thing becomes, I don't need this chicken, even though it's better technically for me Technically, is better. It's like, not even. I don't need. It's like I can't afford. Like, what am I gonna do? Well, Feed because my family, you can't. Well, yeah, when somebody says like, when somebody when somebody day. makes that decision, sometimes it's like because I can't afford it, I don't need it. We justify to ourselves because we can't afford the thing that it's not something we need because it's yeah. like a luxury. I item. mean, even me, you know? like I would love to be able to eat organic vegetables mm-hmm. all the time. I I just can't. I can't afford to buy organic. That's just the way it is. So like with evil to me is that the idea that like a free range chicken like a chicken that's not being tortured is a luxury item yeah that is correct see that's what i'm saying it's like i just think it's sad i think it's sad that i mean the same way with healthcare. like you have to be rich to get adequate health care you have to be rich to be able to um eat the foods that are going to keep you from getting sick too so it's just it's kind of depressing but hey, what is it like to uh date a vegan? Yeah. Um and then so not like super meat way like oh yeah, I just I'm so sad that she doesn't make me bacon or whatever. No, I'm not sad you don't make me bacon. I have like plenty of people in my life to make me bacon. <laughs> yeah, like I did, like have my brother, I have my brother's girlfriend, <laughs> like, you know. I have there's people like even if they didn't exist, yeah, I have got, I'd have friends that I have friends. Oh, that she eat made meat. you bacon just the other day. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> That's not what happened. <laughs> That's not what happened. I almost lost my life because of that girl. Um, Logan ate bacon. He was not supposed to. Hey, ba- it was very controversial. I should have been vegan that day. <laughs> yeah, you should have. I would have actually See, saved, it solved everything. Would have saved my life. <laughs> um, no. Uh, Dating a vegan for me is, well, okay, you don't cook meat and- Yeah, that's a hard boundary for me. You really don't. Yeah. You've, no, no, yeah, you you never really ever really cooked meat for me and that's fine. And then like for me on the other side, like me cooking for you is kind of a struggle because I'm trying to figure out, I'm always trying to figure out what- is going to make this a meal without any meat. You but know that's what I mean? just, yeah, that's just a, a mental thing. Well, it's because it's a mental thing because I know how much each item fills you. So I'm like, well, damn, how many carrots do I need to oh, eat? Oh, yeah. You know what that I mean? was so funny. Remember, I asked you to f- heat up. We had like takeout the night before. Yes, I asked you yes. to heat up something for me, and it was like rice and um, 
like tofu or something like that. And he gave me like <laughs> two pieces of tofu. And I was like, baby, who is this going to feed? <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then like, she like takes the entire tofu and just like dumps it into the bowl. And I was like, oh, because like to me, like if you had like pieces of beef that are the same size as like those tofu strips, like you're full. Like it's, it's, you're no, done. You know I what I mean? Yeah. That's but like, mean. yeah. So like, there's a lot of confusion though about like, you know, uh, fake meat and tofu and things like yeah, that. I guess like as substitutes, they're not, they're not the same. No, you know no, no. I, mean? I don't view food as a substitute. Cause that would be such a sad way to live. Like if I was constantly comparing tofu to beef, <laughs> that's just depressing. Right. Um, I eat tofu for, for tofu. <laughs> Um, tofu is just a bad name too. It doesn't sound like super scrumptious, but isn't tofu sound healthy? Isn't tofu like the like an Asian name, like a Asian word? Or mm, I didn't mean it like that. I just mean it doesn't imply like decadence. Yummy. Like I don't know. I don't know. Like beef. I think that's the propaganda. That's true. Yeah, that's true too. Because I guess it is labeled as a health food, so there's like. Fru fruness, a leanness, yeah. yeah, but no, like a poshness be, that comes with it. It can be very delicious, but tofu is obviously not the only thing I eat. Anyways, okay, that's not the point. The point is, but I do. I guess since I was a meat eater technically for the majority of my life, like I, I do understand what it is like to eat like you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So if I'm serving you or whatever it's not it's not difficult for me to imagine what would fill you up but i can understand why it would be different on the flip side because you haven't had to eat the way that i eat so it's like what does she eat Mm. but logan also does this thing where if he's never made something before he's like well i don't know how to make it and i'm like well look it up and figure it out and he's like no but i don't know how to make it so I, I, my sympathy only goes so far. Is what I'm trying to say. Well, it's just it takes me. You say it takes me forever to do something. It does. So, like me researching an entirely new dish, and the, as slow as I read, like I'm like oh a super slow goodness. reader. You really just don't want to do anything, do you? I'm just saying. <laughs> with any excuse? No, I'm just saying that, like you know, you're gonna be waiting for a little while. Like you're gonna be waiting so for now, this meal. So now, what happens is I make my own food, and then I do ask Logan to go and heat it up for me, and he does do that, which is I, I, I know. Don't tell him that. I make you smaller meals. Mm-hmm. I do. What'd you eat today? Soup. And what? Toast. All right. You made the toast. You're right. <laughs> How can I have forgotten to give you your, your, my toast your cred. accolade? How <laughs> dare you not give me my toast cred on the Milk and Toast podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, we can move We're on. We're figuring it out. Don't say it like we're going to. You always do that. You're like, what? I want to know. Why do girlfriends do that? I remember I was with this one girl this one time. And you were with another girl? I was. That uh, was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I was with this one girl this one time. And 
we had an argument or whatever and her roommates were in the other room and then they had an argument. Now the argument we had wasn't like a real argument. It was like a little debate about something. Like we were just going back. It was something stupid, right? It was not like transformative to our relationship. It was not like our relationship wasn't in the balance for this argument. Nothing was going on, right? Her roommates text her because obviously like she lived in this place and like it was like thin walled and stuff her roommates text her and they're like oh sorry about all the noise you know we're arguing sorry and all this and that and she texts them back she goes oh uh don't worry about it me and logan were just arguing i was like we were not arguing why are you telling them that and they're like i, I that's what i was asking i was like why do girls do that like they like Say like uh like the littlest thing and then be like, our relationship really hung in the balance that time. And it's no, like <laughs> that's not what I was saying. I wasn't saying that like we're figuring it out like it's a struggle. I'm saying like it's a dynamic that is present and that we're on opposite sides of, but mm-hmm. we love each other and respect each other. So it's something that we're willing to have a a you know, a dialogue about. Okay. I'm not going to break up with Logan because he's not vegan. That's just lame. Aw. Yeah. That, that was sweet. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to break up with her because she doesn't she doesn't eat chicken. She doesn't eat bacon. <laughs> eat the bacon. bacon would be a bigger problem. It was like, how could you deny? I want a bacon baby. I want a bacon baby. <laughs> oh, um, Americans have an obsession with bacon. It's have you tasted crazy. bacon before? Yes, I have. It's amazing. I agreed with you when I first tasted it, but now it's really here nor there for me. Every time I eat bacon, it's like the first time. I'm I remember glad. I once I'm ate I'm glad a, you have such a great experience with something. <laughs> I once ate a pound of bacon by myself. That is disturbing. I'm it surprised even, you're alive. It was barely hot. <laughs> it was. It was. It was just you like you have an issue with cold foods. Yeah, I don't like cold foods. But you'll eat cold bacon. Oh yes, that's how good bacon is. Well, yeah, bacon is like it's the most. Like you don't even have to do anything to bacon. It's just you could just cook it. For me, what other food? I'm, I'm at the stage where meat almost doesn't feel like food anymore. Like it doesn't entice me at all. That's crazy. What other food can you just like cook and it just be ready to eat? That's not like processed already. You mean it doesn't need to be seasoned or something? Exactly. I guess. Yeah. I can't think of anything right now. Don't, right. don't come for me. Other vegans. <laughs> They're going to be like oranges. Oranges are good. You don't even have to cook oranges. Yeah, that's true. Fruit, <laughs> fruit is delicious. A mango. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I saved you. Okay. I'll go. Yeah. I'll go for a mango over bacon any day. This is how good of a non vegan really boyfriend good. I am that yeah. I just yeah, saved Aww. you from the vegans. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> They're a scary bunch. <laughs> the vegans? I'm kidding. Not not most of them. They're not that most, scary. Most people are. Normal and respectful. Can you be? A, can you have a man bun and be scary? <laughs> <laughs> I like a man bun. What? What is the man bun like? Why? I don't know. It's just I just like I like men with long hair, and I like when women have short hair. So it's the opposite. Hmm. And sometimes when you have long hair. You need to put it up in a bun, and that bun is pleasing to the eye. 
<laughs> I do like uh, pigtails sometimes. I mean, I hate myself that I hate that I like pigtails, but I do. On men? On women. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because you like cats. <gasps> oh wow! Yeah, because I do like like the cat buns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's I feel so gross about that. Like I'm like, why do I like that? That's gross. But I do like it. But didn't you want to talk about your favorite president? Trump? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're doing the, the segues yeah, now? Yeah. Oh, me. wow. Look at you. That was like so much better pro, than you've ever Pro been. podcast. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> I'm not good at this. I know that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just here to like start shit and make you think a little bit. Like a little bit. Not too much. Not Just too the right much. amount. Just the right amount to make you go, huh. <laughs> no more than that. No. Uh, no. Your mom. I'm bringing her into this. Oh, no. Yes. Leave that poor woman alone. No. She's a listener and she deserves the shout out. Um, your mom. I think she listens. I don't know. She listens every once in a while. And mm-hmm. like, you know. Hey, listen to your show. I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> she has to text you. Yes. Because she needs the praise. The too. praise. Of, yeah. I mean, the show could be a lot. I get it. Um, <laughs> so, like, no, she um, keeps saying that, you know, Trump is going to win. Like, he's going to run again. She's worried. And she's worried. That if he runs again, he'll be that the president he'll win. again. Yeah. And I don't think that at all. Like, I think he's going to run again. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think he can win again. I don't think he can win again. This is my reason for why he can't win again. I might be wrong, but this is my reason. I don't think Trump can win again because I think we're kind of past Trump at this point. Like, I think the damage has been done done with him, you know? Like, I think, like, we... It's kind of like we did the Trump thing, but what would he offer that's more you know what i mean yeah but what what do you but you said when you were talking to me about it that you think that trumpism will continue just without trump like it'll become yes. ex, explain that i think trumpism will become a more legitimate political uh what's the word i'm looking for vehicle like it's gonna be it's become it'll become a more legitimate political thing like uh people will come forth who will actually be able to put things that are trump-esque into actual policy into actual things that might be that's more dangerous yeah that's the worst part it's like um you know sarah palin with her tea party yeah she was ridiculous she even had her own reality show Mm -hmm. (laughs) And started the Tea Party, which was comical at the time. But no, then no. It became Sarah Palin didn't start the Tea Tea Party though. Like oh. they they came bef- a little bit before Sarah Palin. She right? popularized she, it. She popularized it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Pretend I didn't say that because I can only say facts. <laughs> <laughs> On this show, really? What? But I do remember. I mean, I was a kid when um, mm-hmm. I heard about. All of that. Um, so, all that nonsense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's pales in comparison to the stuff that happened when I was less kid. You mean like with Trump and everything? Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing but, about Trump 
and like actual Trumpism, like just Trump himself. And this is why I feel like a lot of liberals are going to like, they're not going to let Trump win again, but somebody like Trump or worse than Trump will win. And that's going to be a big problem because I feel like there's this feeling that when Trump started out, when he was elected, a lot of people came into power who didn't know what to do with that power and didn't know how to govern or anything, right? They didn't know how to like actually put forth the ideas that he wanted to into something that could actually stick. So what you saw a lot of the time was a policy would get put forth by the Trump administration and then even by the same people that they implemented into the courts to uphold those policies, couldn't even do it because they were that illegal. You know, they just didn't. And they're not illegal in like, some of them were illegal in the criminal sense, but like some of them were just illegal in an absurd he was, sense. Yeah, he, he was yeah. absurd and outrageous. But I think what Trumpism basically is, is populism. And populism has been on the rise throughout a lot of democratic Yeah, but countries. you can't. You can't make that into like a policy. It's no, like, I'm not. Know. It's populism isn't about a policy. It's mm. basically a, a method to um, go f- closer towards authoritarianism, I guess. Right. You know, kind of deconstructing democracy, which is what um, Trump was basically trying to do. If you compare um, like the things that were done you know, by Victor Orban and so much, so, uh, so on. It's like you're um, creating distrust in the media. Um, you, it's basically just slowly breaking down the things that support mm-hmm. democracy, which is what Trump was basically doing. He was setting himself apart from the system, mm-hmm. um, you know, saying, you know, everything is corrupt. Everything is ridiculous. He was creating distrust in the media, trying to sort of break down um, those things in order to basically consolidate power for himself mm-hmm. so that he could do what he wanted. And that's where it's dangerous because I think everybody thinks about, um, you know, like a coup where it's violent and dramatic and, but the majority of, of successful transitions in terms of um, like political systems, it's like a, but like the toad in the water where it's like slowly. Oh, the boiling, up. like boiling a frog. Yeah. yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So you don't even know it's happening until it's happened. And I think that, um, Trump is just a little bit still t- too comical for that to be, for him to be the face of that. But I do think that if someone more, maybe a little bit more professional who's, and subversive. Who's the old pig that died in the beginning of Animal Farm? I don't remember. I was so That's what Trump that. is. He's like the guy, he has all the ideas, but we're waiting for like the Stalin pig. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're waiting for that pig. I don't know. (laughs) Whenever you do this podcast, it's like, first we talk about cats and then it's like, oh, doom, gloom, the future, it's over. (laughs) 
Do you think we're doomers? We're, are we really doomers like on the podcast? No, I don't think it's your fault. I think the world is just very fragile right now, which is what everybody said every generation of mm-hmm. <laughs> every moment. But The future is fragile. Yeah, it is. It is. The future is fragile because we don't know what it's made up of. Like It's like if you don't build something, it's, oh, yeah. it's going to be fragile because it's not together. You know? It's just potential. There's potential yeah. for horrible things. There's, There's potential also for potential good things, for, yeah. Potential for good things, but I don't. In general, I don't think people fo- focus on that because it's good things aren't scary. So <laughs> sometimes good things are scary. That's true. Yeah, success is scary. That's true. Yeah. Love is scary. Yeah, love is scary. It's terrifying. It is scary. Yeah, I look at you and I want just, just want to run away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn! Now I signed a lease with this guy, so I'm stuck for a lease in a year. It's funny. That's like the basis of our relationship. It's just like two people, yeah. hey, commitment, committed. <laughs> yeah, Logan and I met each other, and it was like we were both in the headspace of, yeah, I want to meet someone who's like interesting and I can talk to, like have a conversation with. Um, but not necessarily. No, I was planning on yeah. leaving in a few months and <laughs> oh, oh, I shouldn't say where. No, <laughs> you're fine. that out. No, we we they've said we've said on the show before. No, my mother lives there. Obviously. <laughs> Anyways, where we were, bleep that out, please. Okay. <laughs> where <No>. we <laughs> hey, Okay, I'm sorry. I know where you live. Yeah, New York. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. What I don't know. You say it again. No, no, you were saying. Oh, it just—it's yeah. so horrible and lonely. I just needed like a, a little, you know, appetizer of connection. So that's what I was looking for. But Logan turned out to be kind of, uh, kind of good. So that's annoying. I'm a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! This. This this uh, episode is very calm, yeah, and probably like one of the more NPR. Every time you're on the show, it's like this, <laughs> like, it's like it's very calm. You know what though? Yeah. I think it's good that we both went into this with like literally zero expectations, because there wasn't for me there was no pressure at all, ever. Because I was just like, okay, here I am. I like this person. They like me, mm. but it wasn't the kind of like or attraction where I felt like, you know, I, this has to work. It was more like, okay, I'm just gonna, here I am. Um, you know, no pretense. If you like me, you like me. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. Which I think was because there wasn't any of that pressure or expectation. It just kind of happened organically. I too was going through the same thing. Yeah. Like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yes. Like, like like if Here they I am. yeah, if they don't like me, then I'll just you know I'll just love myself and go find somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just, yeah. Or hate myself and go find someone else. Doesn't yeah. Matter. Either one works. You know. It's yeah. just As long as you're accepting of it. Yeah. You just have to accept that. You know what I mean? Um. Oh wait, I wanted to talk to you about this because let's do all the serious topics first because we just did the Trump thing and then we were like, fuck that. And then, uh, no, this is what I hate. This is my little pet peeve now when it comes to like information. Sure. Is like a paywall. Like every time, every time I need to read something. It's the same. 
with like the the organic foods. Yes. It's like, do you want the really good thing? Do you see how pretty and and vibrant it is in our store? Do you see how we put it in the nice little artisanal basket? Well, you can't have that unless you pay five dollars more a if month. Like yes, the, the New York Times are like, oh, let me give you the first paragraph of this very compelling article. Yes. Do you want to continue? I'm like, no. no. This. I'm like, this is about coronavirus. I need this information. <laughs> yeah, information should not be. There should be a law against that. Like yeah, that. you can't. There should be a law against. Not all paywalls, but like certain paywalls. I mean, I understand. Like if it affects like public health. People need to eat, you know, and people don't like to just give their money, especially to, mm-hmm. you know, like newspapers, PBS, NPR, all those things. They struggle. I mean, the postal- they, they do a drive every year or every quarter. And then like they've got they, people. Yeah. People donate. You're right. Yeah. Like rich people, they make a gala, and then everyone is just. Like, and masterpiece oh, theater is a thing, you know, with like Downton Same Abbey with the, and the stuff. The Met too; they just have their like super expensive party, and then yeah, but it's still not free. I have a funny story because the Met used to be, um, you know, pay what you want for everybody. So you could go in there and give them a dollar. You can go in there and give them nothing, and you could still mm-hmm. have access to all of this now. And um, a couple of years ago, it changed. It's still discounted for um, residents and students of New York and New Jersey. For everywhere else, I think it's like $25 or something. Right. Anyways, my, my dad came to visit me because I was going to school in New Jersey at the time. And he used to live in New York for like 10 years. So, And he wanted to go to the Met. So <laughs> we went and all of a sudden there was this like huge ticket fee except for people who lived here. And he was like, but I lived here for 14 years. <laughs> He's like, why can't you give me the discount? I lived here. <laughs> How long? He was like, he was like, I can tell you what street I was on. <laughs> it was so funny. The whole time he was, he was visiting me. He was like, <laughs> everything was different. He was like, there used to be maps everywhere. Where did the maps go? I'm like, they're on your phone now, dad. He's like, no, New York is going to shit. The maps are gone. (laughs) And he was like, there used to be a trash can on every corner. Now there's trash everywhere. (laughs) He said, and and Polish pastries. Where are the Polish pastries? What's with all the falafel? I'm like, dad, you know, street vendors, it just, it, Things change. It's been like 20 years. <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> but that, the poor like ticket vendor's face when my dad was like, but I lived here. <laughs> he was like, I'm sorry, sir. I really can't do anything about it. Your dad talks like somebody who just got out of prison. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> where are all the maps? <laughs> Like he was here this whole time. Like but he, he didn't. He didn't want me to look it up on my phone. He, like, <laughs> he was like, "I'm gonna look at a map, and I'll know what to do." <laughs> That's what New Yorkers do. Like, but there's the map is on your phone. That's also yeah. a map. It's not really a map because it tells you where to go. Like Google Maps, like gives I use the map on Google Maps. Like I scroll around. To orient, you well, know? Well, you're the happy medium between yeah. our generations then. Because I'm just like, okay, this is telling me where to walk. I'll walk there. <laughs> no, it's because I'm a millennial. Yeah. 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 There you go. You're one of those. The best. We're the, the millennials are the greatest generation. 
I don't know about without that. a war. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> sure. People are like, you know, people who are in World War II were the greatest generation, but like, you didn't have black people going to the same bathroom as you. So, like, we're the greatest. Mm, but ah. you're also sad. We're also sad. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but we're real about it. Like, we're not okay. Like, the difference between Gen Zers and millennials is we are both sad, right? But millennials aren't so sad that they're not going to do anything. Like, Gen Zers, if they're sad, they don't do anything. I'm going to say that. I don't know. I don't want to have this argument. You know, this argument. What was the other I know, thing? I'm, I'm baiting you. What, yeah, I'm, I'm not taking it. I'm swimming away. You're horrible. There's a nice little piece of seaweed over there I'd rather eat. You're a vegan fish? Yeah, I'm a vegan fish. <laughs> Anyways, those are the ones that get eaten by other things. Anyways, so that's not that great. Tell me about, because um, we're having a really cool little couples podcast right now. I guess so. It's fun. Um, tell me about uh, sex positivity and how that, like, because the way you talk to me about it, was that like we should be sex positive in a way that actually like being sex positive actually keeps women safer women and girls yeah women and girls safer. i think um sex positivity obviously is wonderful for empowerment and that's great in and of itself but i also think that when we're teaching our girls and stuff that was missing from my own sex education was just how sex positivity can actually keep you safe. Um, Cause, okay. So I grew up in the South and there was mm-hmm. a lot of stuff there and sex education was pretty much not anything. They promoted abstinence and, and um, you know, talk to you about STDs and how you were going to die if you ever had sex. But with that, there were also tons of underlying, um, social things, especially for girls about, you know, being a slut and, um, mm-hmm. all of this loose stuff. That, yeah. yeah. That was very much present and something that you didn't want to be And girls who were having sex. Like, you know, you knew about them and people looked down on them and it was just kind of a scary thing. So, um, there weren't a whole lot of conversations about even just, um, for me growing up, there were zero conversations about like girls and masturbation, which is a totally normal thing to do. Um, but there were no conversations about it. It was such a taboo to even talk about, even though guys talked about it all the time. Um, but I just think, I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous if you don't talk to your girls about sex, because if, if they don't have any idea about what, feels good to them, what doesn't feel good, then going into these first sexual experiences and sex can be extremely dangerous. Sex is extremely dangerous, like mm-hmm. emotionally, physically, yeah, physically, there's a yeah. lot of things going on. If you have no idea what you're going in into, then you, you don't know what your boundaries are. And it really just depends on the other person. Like, are, are they going to be respectful or are they not? Because I remember, especially in my first sexual encounters, I was like, you know, I'll just let 
them take the lead. And I didn't want to be disappointing to my partner. Mm. So I was like, I'll do whatever they want, which is, which is really dangerous. So I think like really talking to girls about, um, sex and their ability to have a voice and autonomy and to say what they want, what they don't want, um, to have a conversation with their partner about it is not just good for their, you know, sense of self but for their safety in their sexual interactions, because especially with the like normal, like the heteronormative, like sexual, sociosexual script, it's not, like women are not a big part of it at all. It's about male pleasure for the most part. Um, and, you know, you might get a guy who really wants to please you. But even even then, I was worried about like, oh, am I, um, am I being vocal enough? Like even if it didn't feel good, but I f- felt like they were trying, then I would just pretend like everything was good, which isn't fair even to them because then you're lying. But it was just like this crushing idea that I like couldn't be disappointing. Um, Yeah. I would just kind of take whatever is given to me. And that is incredibly dangerous. Mm. Um, So, and yeah, I've definitely had my fair share of, negative experiences with sex. So I just wish I, and I had great friends and my parents did talk about um, sex, but not that in depth. So I did learn as, as I went along and um, came to the realization that, no, I have to ask for what I want. And it's okay if I, you know, don't, climax and why why the heck am I faking this when like guys never fake it um so it just came with maturing in into sex but I just think it's such a slippery slope and it's so dangerous to not have access to this information to say it's okay to have boundaries to say that you should experiment with your body to see what you like and you should be vocal with your partner telling them what you do or don't like. Those are things that are just not talked about and I think are a big part of having good sexual and safe sexual experiences as a girl and as a guy too, Mm because guys don't ever really talk about what they want outside of the normal script either. Right. Exactly. So I just think all around. So what should we talk about? What should we, what should we do? Like, how should we, like, should we have like, uh, maybe female only sex education courses or. I mean, I think they already, I mean, like in school, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Ideally. Yeah. You would have a full blown, um, class about like, all aspects of sex, not just how to wear a condom or how to mm-hmm. say no to sex. Right. Um, or like the, 
oh, you're going to die. You're going to get an STD. And mm-hmm. as if there wasn't enough anxiety around having sex. Yeah. Um, or like stigma against people who do have, have contracted an STD, which yeah. is also like, you're not, I don't even want to say the words. You're not a this or that if you've had an STD. Like plenty of people have had them just. No, like a leper. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like there's just so much shame around sex already. Yeah. Um, I But I just don't, don't see schools, especially in the U.S., doing that. I just think it's important. I mean, if you're a girl to have conversation with your friends, even like in your twenties or older, it's never too late because there are tons of women who haven't had like the ability to talk about those things. Cause it's still a taboo. Mm. Um, if you have kids or are planning on having kids, I would try to make that an intentional thing because I don't know. The world is very dangerous for women as it is. I think you're talking about like the attitude a yeah. lot towards you know the education bit itself so it's like how do we turn the the attitude into a more positive manner like what mm-hmm. what would we do instead of because i think on one end the problem could very easily slip into the same issue by trying to solve the problem which is like you know we're trying to make it into a, like a curriculum type thing. And it's like, you know, a pass fail type of thing. And you can't pass or fail sex. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, it's different for every person. Yeah, exactly. There's no normal. Right. So like being that, being as that is what it is, it's like the attitude around it can't be like, there is a wrong way to have sex. There's a wrong way to to do this in a way. You know I what I mean? I think the attitude should be about having conversations, having open conversations mm-hmm. about real experiences instead of just saying like, this is what sex should be like. This right. is what your role should be in sex. Like if you had this many partners, then you're this or, mm-hmm. you know. Like it's very hands off, I think, is what it I'm is. trying to get to. Is like you're right. It's like yeah. oh, even even parents will say, oh, you'll know what to do in the moment, but that is really not true. And I think that that is where a lot of um, like safety precautions aren't taken. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you are with a loving partner who you trust and you're able to have open conversations with, then yeah, you guys are figuring it out together in the moment. But a lot of times, like I can tell you that I did not have a sex for love at all the first time. This was not a person that, that I talked to. This wasn't even a person who knew that I hadn't had sex before. I, you know, mm-hmm. I was, and I, I did put myself at risk, but it was just, I don't know. I didn't know how to have those conversations. I didn't know how. I didn't know what I wanted, let alone how to ask for it. For yeah. it. Um, I wasn't encouraged to kind of speak up or to explore my own body um, in those kind of like formative sexual years at all. Mm. That was a journey that 
I took on my own actually after I started having sex because I realized that it wasn't fulfilling at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that the curriculum should be based on like honest conversation Mm -hmm. about all of, because they disregard the mental aspects of sex completely. Right. It's literally just about the act. Yes. And just about like procreation, which that is not what sex is about at all for there's most all, people. Yeah, because there's a whole other world that comes with sex that isn't just the physical act and being of sex. And because there's a hyper focus on like the physical part, and I feel like that's partly because of some type of weird um, fear that we've kind of gotten around the subject which is like you know well how do we talk about this in a way that the parents are going to let us talk about it yeah you know what i mean yeah so it's like well we won't say that you know when you love somebody and all this and that you know we'll just say well this is what happens when you're having but not sex that, and stuff but like to that to me that is also like too big of an ideal like you should only have sex when you love somebody. No, no, I'm not like, saying you should crazy. only have sex when you love somebody, but I'm saying that leaving that out, like leaving pieces like that out, like leaving out the emotional parts of sex. Yeah, leaving, leaving out, out the fact the, that yes. you need to have, be able to have a conversation about it. Like yes, if exactly. you are unable to talk about sex with your partner, you probably should, should not be having sex. With your partner, with yeah. With your partner, yeah, yeah exactly. Because... I don't know. That leaves sex is dangerous. We don't talk about fulfillment. Yeah. You don't talk about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And fulfillment goes both ways. Like each partner needs to give to the other and listen Mm -hmm. to the other partner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's fluid too. It's not like you can have one conversation and then up, you figured it out. Like that's the way to go. Like your relationship to your body, to your partner's body, um, your relationship to sex in general is always changing. So mm-hmm. you see, this is a lot. This is a, I, this is, I feel like people can listen to us. Right. Yeah. And this is an adult show. So like adults listen to us and but what we do you can, say to kids? Yeah, exactly. What do you say to kids? You know, how do you say to a kid, you know, you should be fulfilled in sex. And I think that I would, I would say, I would say that, um, you know, sex is about pleasure. I think that they Mm. get that, um, that it's very powerful and you can have this connection with someone, but it's also dangerous if you're Mm. not careful. So you have to be able to talk to and trust the person that you decide to engage with. I would take it a step further is that like sex on some level is about, you know, keeping yourself whole, you mm-hmm. know, like protecting yourself. Like how do you take care of yourself? Yeah. You know what I mean? And your partner too. I mean, but yeah. you shouldn't Okay. Ever- well, I'm thinking about the thing is I'm thinking about like mostly girls in this scenario because like, that's mm-hmm. what I'm thinking about talking to. That's the type of person I'm thinking about talking to because yeah. we assume that boys are going to be fulfilled in sex. And then, that's not always true either though. No, I mean like, as far as uh, how we treat boys 
in society when it comes to sex is that we assume there's an expectation for them to be pleasured and yes, to get exactly. pleasure out of it and, and to, to be, be in control and to be pleasured inherently from the act too yeah like there's like there's even like a stigma against like you know well, what do you mean you couldn't get off with this person or what do you mean like I have such a problem yeah. with the way the sex is like depicted in movies like I will watch it and I'm like why is she having an orgasm right now she shouldn't be because they did nothing for her they just like it was like pow 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 we're done right and there's like hardly ever any foreplay and I'm like Ugh. And that's not like y'all say, are cute, but this doesn't look interesting to that's me. That's not to say that that doesn't happen for anybody, yeah. but it's, it's like there's under there's certain conditions and like it, it matters for the person that's involved. Mm-hmm. And when we just for show the great, it that, I will yeah. say for the great majority of women foreplay is very important. Essential. Essential. Yeah. 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 Not necessarily like every time, like obviously. Mm-hmm. Like sex doesn't have to like follow a set curriculum every mm-hmm. single time. But if there is no foreplay ever, I don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Yeah. That, that would not be fulfilling to me at all. I think that the adults involved in these conversations need to have a greater sense of courage about this because mm-hmm. the fail, the way we fail young people on it has caused more damage and more pain yeah. than we believe that we are inflicting on them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like when, when something happens to an individual, it is, it is the fault of the people that are involved. You know what I mean? Like the, the person that does harm yeah, for sure. But I think that, it's also kind of a failing on the people who raised that person up and raised the people up in that situation that like, For we're not, not having those conversations. Yeah. We're not like, it's like somebody says, okay, you're going to war, but they don't give you a helmet. They don't give you a, a, gun. a gun or yeah, a sword. They don't tell you how they to use it. Or they, they give you the gun, it. but they don't tell you how yeah, to use they don't, it or train They don't you. tell you anything. They just say, yeah. hey, go, you yeah. know? And so we're under equipping people to live in a world that has sex. Yeah. And so because we're so squeamish about the topic and we're not able to talk about the topic, yeah. then we are making it harder for people who have to become adults later. We look at children and then we're like, well, we don't want to say this to a child. Yeah, we don't want to say be that. Having sex. But this is a person that's a future adult. Mm-hmm. And so they have to live in this world with sex and they have to live in this world with that. And we can't be like, we can't be quiet. Yeah. It's like, I get it. I get it. Parents. You do not want to imagine your girl or your boy, whatever, like having or whatever gender, um, having sex. Like Mm -hmm. it's not a comfortable thing necessarily to think about, but if you are not talking to them about it, they're going to get their information from somewhere else. And that source is usually not an empowering one. Right. And I would even go farther to say that the the damage from sex starts even before you're having sex. It starts with the shame that society is putting on people, that sometimes parents, that sometimes religions are putting on um, mm-hmm. people. Yeah. So you go into sex with all of these 
complicated feelings. Mm-hmm. And you should want your children to be empowered through sex. Yeah. I think that's that's them. also a problem because a lot of people don't I don't believe that they want their child to necessarily be empowered when it comes to sex. You know, like what does that mean? Like yeah. does that encourage them to have sex? And it's like I don't know if the 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 greatest fear should Either be whether way, or not yeah. your child has Either sex. Either way or your not. child is yeah. eventually going to have sex probably. Yeah, unless maybe, they don't want yeah. to. Um which is also fine. But the truth, the fact of the matter is that the majority of people do enter into sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. So is this person going to be ready for it or are they not going to have all of the information or are they going to get the information from bad Some, Something that's going to end up getting them hurt. Yeah. Yeah, that's I the, think for me the biggest the thing, thing like the one biggest thing for me in terms of talking to girls, just saying that because... Mm-hmm. I am one, and, and this was something that was really lacking because um, I had conversations with my parents about respect and that sex can feel good, but you know, and that you should be connected to the person. and And I do appreciate those conversations. Yes, but um, I just think that that parents should work to destigmatize. Um, like experimentation and and masturbation for girls. Mm -hmm. Because if you are even afraid to touch your own body, if you don't know what makes you feel good, then I don't know, that's dangerous. How is anybody else supposed supposed to know that? I just think that yeah, how are you supposed to know how are you supposed to know what feels good with another person if you don't know what feels good to yourself? Yeah. So talk. talk to your girls about masturbation. Make it okay. Make it okay. That's the best thing. <laughs> right. I know that that is super, might be super awkward, but. Cringy, yeah. Who cares? Who are you trying to impress? Yeah, who are you trying to impress? With like, you? who yeah. cares that it's an awkward conversation? It's not like you're having an awkward conversation with your boss. It's your kid. <laughs> like, Some people rather talk to their boss about sex than their own children. Probably. Though, you know? Yeah, talk to your kids about it. You yes, I feel like you Before, sh- you should recognize yeah. that there's a purpose behind that. You're not just talking to your kids about sex to talk to them about sex. You're not shooting a shit about who you fucked last week. Yeah. You're talking to your or kid. what your sexual yeah, preferences are. You're talking to your kid about real things and that things they're that they're going, going to, to experience. experience. And yeah, like, not just the sex. Like not just. I think we think of like all the things we like about sex, and then we're like, oh my god, my kid might have sex. Like. Think about all the horrible things that could happen yeah. to your kid from having, from not just it's having like, sex, but being in a sexual situation. Like driving know? a car. Yeah. Right. It's, there's a, you know, driving a car is dangerous. Accidents happen. They mm-hmm. can, can be fatal. And what are you going to say? Like, no, never, never drive a car. Don't you dare ever drive a car. Like I haven't driven a car for 20 years and I've never been in a car accident. That's what abstinence is like. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's so amazing. But the likelihood of your kid growing up and driving a car is really high. So why wouldn't you, you talk to them about it and 
and help them along with their journey. That was the greatest explanation of this topic, I think. <laughs> I was just, I've never heard that before. That is That's the what I felt like abstinence was like. I would hear that in school and they were like, I've never been pregnant and I've been abstinent for 20 years. I'm like, wow, the greatest way not to get pregnant is not to have sex at all? Are you telling me that? That is mind blowing. They say that in school. Seriously, I know it was really stupid. It I was so it. stupid to me. It is dumb because it's like, oh, well, she shouldn't, she shouldn't have had sex if she didn't want to have. And it's always she. Yeah. It's always she shouldn't have had sex. It's never like, well, you know, he shouldn't have had sex if he didn't want to have a kid. It's like, no, it's always- I mean, some people do say that, but it's like, it's more. It's, the other I way would around. say that it's rare for. I've heard people say that, though, but like, it's like it, the situation is a lot more dire on the other side. And- yeah. That's not how that, that just that's just horrible. That's just Takes horrible two to, say, to, tango. Say, to say say to say that to anybody. It's just and bad. the there's nothing inherently wrong with the desire to have sex with the desire to have yeah. Pleasure. Like what are you supposed to do? Like that's what I understand. Like people would say that, and I would be it's like, like, oh, you're a horrible person so for like, wanting you, to you have like sex. Never no. want to have sex. You never no. want to. You're, you're never not. horny. You're never <laughs> nothing. So you just walk around robot Jones all day. Yeah, and and or denying it and feeling shameful, which is harmful to your soul. Like why why would you do that? Like sex can be wonderful and it's not wrong to want to have pleasure, want to feel good, especially with somebody yeah. special. Like it's very intimate. Yeah. Stop looking at me like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> So just, yeah, sex positivity. Yeah. For safety. That's nice. Um, You wanted to talk about. As uh, well as fulfillment. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, You wanted to talk about uh, your artistic voice, basically. And all my my topics today are like, um, I wish I had gotten this as a kid (laughs) (laughs) that's great though i think it's good to share knowledge that way you Mm -hmm. know what i mean i think that's the purpose of having knowledge in the first place i don't think you're supposed to hoard your knowledge i don't i think people get greedy with their thoughts i feel like such an old person (laughs) really no (laughs) oh that's great no i was about to say that's pretty cool Um, um No, I think that you're supposed to be able to share your experiences with people so that we could all learn from them. I think that's the only way that you gain more knowledge is that like you share and then other people share with you, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I'm a, a dancer and, um, and an I guess artist. an artist. And a painter. Yeah, and a yeah. painter. But um, I definitely had more rigorous dance training growing up and I started I said this last time I I did start mostly in ballet which is a you know a very codified meaning like structured set of Mm -hmm. movement structured practice and um I guess now so I, I went to college for contemporary dance and there was this like huge push for like the um the discovery of your artistic voice. And we had to improv all the time, um, do a bunch of improv- improvisational exercises. And it was so scary to me because it like felt so vulnerable. I wasn't used to doing it. And I just wish that um, my training 
as a kid, like for those first 18 years, um, had promoted the, the discovery of, um, of the artistic voice because I don't know, kids have so much creativity, so much imagination. Um, and then you go through this rigorous training program where it's like, you know, you have to look like this, you have to do this, you have to follow these steps. We weren't really allowed to ask that many questions in class. If we did, we had to, to raise our hands. And, um, it was very much like the teacher does, you try to emulate dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like, going to college and having teachers be like, no, ask so many questions and don't ask me questions about just like, um, what is this move? Like, where are the arms Mm -hmm. during this? It's like, what is the motivation behind this? Like, what am I trying to understand here? Like, where does this movement come from? Mm -hmm. What is the essence of it? Like all of those questions, like developing your artistry, um, it was just like a whole new world. And it's just so sad because kids have so much imagination and interpretation and and perspective. Like every kid interprets things through, like unabashedly through their, Mm -hmm. um, like their own filter, like they approach things in their own way. And then like, that's kind of, trained out of you because everyone is saying, no, this is the way that you have to do it. And then I was like coming back to it as an adult in college. And I was like, I missed out on so much time that I could have been doing this research. And that's not to say that there is no place for, um, like, I I do think there's a place for like ballet and that like structured training. I just think that if it's accompanied with that um, personal exploration that, you know, your, the next generation of artists is going to be so much more confident and, um, ready to, to take everything on Mm -hmm. because art is about unique perspective. It's not just about perfection and excellence. Those things are boring. Right. Um, I mean, they can be beautiful, but ultimately they're boring. You want to see somebody saying something. So why aren't we cultivating that individuality? That's what, yeah. (laughs) No, I was just listening to you. You say (laughs) I'm like, that's how that feels like. (laughs) Like, that's how that feels when, like, Claire and Mitch, like, stare at me. (laughs) When I'm talking about, yeah, bling, bling, bling. (laughs) Like, oh, (laughs) Um, no, I talk more. (laughs) I I don't know what to say about that because I, I, I do. I just think it's kind of dangerous because it also um, puts you in a cycle of having to have other people validate the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then really when it comes down to it and you're doing the work by yourself, the only person that needs to validate you is you. And that mm. is so hard to do. Right. Um, because you've always gotten it from these outside sources that are looking into the, to, are you doing it the way that I want you to do it? I think my experience is different. And that's why I kind of like went blank a little bit there. It was, is because my experience with art is a little different because 
any type of structural, like structured art class. You hate. I've yes, I've always hated, yeah. and I've always shied we've away got, from. We've got a little rebel on our hands. <laughs> wow, I hate you so much. Were you, a, were you the bad boy in school? Was I the bad boy in school? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a joke. Oh, okay. Thank you. I don't have to answer. That. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> questions about me? <laughs> um, no. Any type of like art class, or I used to do horrible in, so I never really wanted to take an art class. You know, mm-hmm. because like they'd be like, draw this apple, and then you draw the apple, and you can't draw an apple, and they're like, oh, that's, that's not a, an that's apple. not an apple. And it's just like, well, no shit. <laughs> it was never an apple. It was a drawing of an apple. <laughs> it's like I knew that wasn't an apple. <laughs> When I drew the squiggly circle on my paper, like I knew I couldn't draw an apple. Can you help me? Anyways, so like I've always like stayed away from those classes. And so like I never took those classes in school. Right. And then it wasn't until high school when I started doing like film and stuff. And so what they do in those classes is they teach you how the camera works and they teach you like, and they say, maybe go out. like, yeah, they teach you like story structure and things like that. And then they just tell you, just go out and go make something and then but bring it back. But you were older then too. You, know? you were in high school now. I, yes. But like the, also the, also, also the thing about it is that like, no matter what age you are, like when they uh, start you in like film or whatever, they just tell you to just shoot the camera at something. You know what I mean? That's true. So like you're you're already built in with that expression. You're you're uh you're encouraged to express because there's no other way to use a camera but to do that. Now some when you get into more advanced film classes, that's when that comes in where it's like, well, this is what this means with the camera and this is how you do this more technically and then like uh you have people that they'll show you film and then like they'll uh, critique the film and say why this film is so great. Like, I don't know how many times like film students have to watch Citizen Kane. You know (laughs) what I mean? And it's like, (laughs) and Citizen Kane is a good movie. And like, if you're like a super duper technical major film buff, like if the technical aspect of film is what's more important to you during film, which is nothing wrong with that. But if that's, what's the important thing when you're watching a movie, then like Citizen Kane is like Mecca for you. You know what I mean? But like if you, I care more about the emotional aspects of of a movie than I do like the technicality of like how hard it was to make a shot or how do you make the lighting in a shot? And what did you do to create the blocking that made the lighting off of this mirror and reflection and to the camera and all like, I I don't, I get it if it comes like a part of the story and then it like, it has some meaning and significance, but technicality for the sake of technicality has never been interesting to me. So Mm -hmm. like, uh, that's why those classes in any aspect of art in any aspect of art. Yeah. So that's why those classes have never really like spoke to me in that way. Yeah. And then it wasn't until like I was just around at work that I decided to. I was like in a period of my life where I just wanted to be more expressive. So then that's when I started doing like short drawings and stuff like that. And like I had my own style of drawing. You know, because I didn't have a style of drawing. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't have anybody telling me how to draw. I just decided that I was going to draw. Well, that's the thing, too. Like, the the most iconic artists are artists that went 
against the grain that mm-hmm. that that discovered something for themselves. I didn't even know there was a grain. You know yeah, what I mean? there you go. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of, especially. In, I'm talking mostly about my own dance yes, training. Yeah. And I, I felt like it was weird because it got to a point where you were maturing and, and there was an expectation of artistry, mm-hmm. but it was like a specific kind of artistry and you kind of had to figure it out for yourself. And like, it couldn't go too far because then it was like delineating from what, what was expected yeah, exactly. of you and what the, I don't know. There's a lot of corruption with artistic directors too. Mm. Like it's all kind of like in, in many cases, an ego project for them. So they do enjoy mm. um, controlling what they produce. And by produce, I mean people. <laughs> so using people for their own expression? Yeah, I guess so. I just... Um, and this might not be true for everyone. I do think that there are a lot of great um, instructors and contemporary programs, especially now that are pushing um, individual exploration and improvisation and, and all of that stuff, which I think is wonderful. But in a lot of experience, especially in, in with people who come from like studying super codified um, dance practices like ballet um for example um like even some jazz um and whatever mm-hmm. there's i don't know there's just so much time loss that you could be doing other things like what is technique if not it's it's like you said it's just to support something yeah. it's to support the art like you're in it for the art mm-hmm. and in order for it to be art, it has to say something too. Right. And if you're not empowered to say something, it's hard. It's hard for even. It's hard for me now. I think that there is a lot of. This might be a separate topic, but there's a lot of elitism in art, and like comparing yourself to that, it's like, uh, like what's worse, um, like being mediocre or. <laughs> not doing it at all. I don't know. Um, and basically like you have to have confidence. You have to have confidence in, in your ability to say something in your ability for it to be valid. And, um, that comes from having like a strong grounded artistic voice, the ability to experiment, to not be afraid to experiment, to have, that confidence and I just wish personally that I had been able to develop that and work on that from a younger age because now I've had to do it in like the last four or five years and it doesn't feel robust enough yeah like I do feel like myself slipping back into uh, like is this good enough? Is this that? And that shouldn't be a question. Like, is this good enough? Mm. Like it should just be about the process and about finding something. Right. But it's, it's there. It's been, you know, beaten in there, not literally, but. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think a lot of elitism comes after the fact of the art. And I think that's what gets lost in translation a lot. Like, uh, yeah. And it's so stupid too, because mm. so many of like the, like the elite, um, ideas were so behind the times. Like you look at an artist, like, I know it's an obvious example, but, um, like Van Gogh who like made no money and like the, the elite ideas of the, of, um, critics at the time were like, this isn't art, but you know, yeah. now he's viewed as a genius basically. So it, it's stupid because you can look and see, it's like, oh, it's just, it's just somebody's opinion. And, you know, they don't, know what they're talking about necessarily more than somebody else. Like art is just about reaching other people. Mm -hmm. So why does, you know, this little group of snobbery um, have the final say, which it doesn't, but just growing up around the idea of, of elitism, the like being, having to be validated by these systems and by these standards mm -hmm. and people. It's, I think, destructive to, to art, destructive to the artistic voice. I think criticism is inherently destructive, but it's not, I think, it's destructive the way a, uh, like a wrecking ball is destructive. Like yeah. it has its purpose in the construction aspect of things. Like it has its purpose in building an artist. It has its purpose. But when uh, criticism becomes the only thing that matters within the project, you know, yeah. what the critic would say, uh, then that's Yeah, then what, it becomes about the, yeah. what the critic wants and yeah. not what the artist. I had a great um, professor went in my choreography class um, because we would critique each other's work and each other's processes. But she was like, her process was for critique was amazing because it had nothing to do with us, the people who were watching. Yeah. We had to talk about um, what we saw and, and um, what we noticed. So, and that way, then that's just straight data for the choreographer. Right. They can say, um, oh, this person picked up on this motif or they, this piece gave them, um, you know, this sort of feeling. Is that what I'm going for with my idea? Is that what I want them to be getting? And then it's about what you are trying to say instead of, mm -hmm. oh, I didn't like that music yeah. because I thought it was too rough or I didn't like how they were doing. Like, why are, why is it an I statement? Like, mm -hmm. what does it have to do with you? This person is not creating for what you want. Right. It's so the process basically was just about giving information so that the person could see what, other people were getting from their work and is that the direction that they wanted to continue in or did they need to make to change something in order to better say what they wanted to say which i think for me i was like wow that's such a great approach and it's so usable because then you're also not coming out of the critique like oh 
everybody hated it. Nobody liked it. It was just, you know, there was no emotion attached. It was just data. And I was like, that's great. That's great. Like learning, um, learning that like, uh, what's important to you throughout your expression. Yeah. And is that what, is that what you were trying to say? Yeah. And if not, then how do I better say it? I think it also matters more if like everybody's saying that, like if one guy is saying it versus like everybody. What do you mean saying what? Well, like, let's say you did a piece and then you were trying to convey sadness and then like the person like. I hate that. We talked about that. (laughs) Well, I mean, for the sake of the example and like they were, you were trying to convey something, you know, like you were trying to convey a, a greater ideal. Right. And like the critic just didn't get it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just one critic, you know, and then like somebody else said like something completely different. And even if it wasn't that, like, even if that wasn't the same thing that you were trying to come across, like recognizing that you can't read one bad review. Yeah. I feel like that happens to a lot of artists too. Like they'll read one bad review. They'll read one bad critique of their art. And then that just kind of breaks them a little bit. Yeah. 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 I just, I feel like with people who, um, some people who don't pay that much attention to art, mm. they get frustrated when they look at something and, and they don't get it right away. Right. Um, if like they don't understand the exact intentions of the artist, then like the artist failed. Yes. And it's like, I was like, like I've had people who watch a dance and they're like, but what does that move mean? And what does that move mean? And what does that move mean? I'm like, it's not a transcription of a sentence. Yeah. Um, and what is the fun in art if there's no room for interpretation? Like I, I don't get anxious if I look at a piece of art and I don't know exactly what it's telling me right away. Right. Like I think that that is part of the fun is to – you know, that's why people stare at pieces of art for hours. It's not because they look at it and they get it all. It's because they're um, trying to put all of the information that they're receiving, trying, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a process of discovery and it's different for every, I love when it's different for every person, when it touches every person in a different way. And when it isn't always all clear because you know, then there's a conversation there. Then you're having a dialogue with the work as well. Right. Yeah. I don't need someone to just tell me something. What's the point? That's a good place to stop. Yeah. All right. Um, as we always do on the show, do you have anything you want to leave the people with? I <laughs> No. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um... I really don't know. Um, Shortest show ever, but it's fine. I don't know. No, just like, do you have anything? You did this last time. I know. I'm just not prepared for it. Do you have anything that, uh, no, do you have anything that you want to say to the people, a final word or anything? Like anything you think they should know, they should learn? Or just like, you know, have, do you want them to have a good day or what? I do. I, I want everyone to have a good day, whatever that looks like. Be gentle with yourself. That's what I'll say. Oh. Because, you know, oh, there's so many expectations on everyone for everything. Like that you have to accomplish all these things in a day. And 
sometimes that doesn't work out. And if you were just sit there beating yourself up about it, then what good is that? Just be gentle and say, you know what? Maybe, maybe I needed to lay in bed all day and watch Survivor. And that's okay. <laughs> that's great. Just be nice to yourself because it's really hard to do that sometimes. I like that, that doesn't have anything to do with what the show was about, but that's okay. No, no, that's, I like that. That's a good, it's a good final wrap for anybody, really. Um, what do I got to say? Uh, as always, if you like the show, share the show. If you uh, hate the show, share it with somebody you don't like. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're the only one that laughs at that. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think that's such a wild idea. <laughs> I would do that. That's why I say that. Like literally, you like Mitch and you're a villain. Yeah, Mitch and Claire like think like. If you like, didn't know this, Logan is a self-proclaimed Slytherin. So I am not self-proclaimed. I, I took the little stupid test and everything. I got the <laughs> yeah. I was so mad about you know actually watching the movies and actually figure like the Slytherins are like horrible in the movies. And I don't mean like horrible like, yeah, villain wise. They're just dumb. They're just stupid. They just don't make good I just plans. Think, I just think that that they could have been fleshed out more. Some of the Slytherins are more fleshed out than others. Some literally of them. just Severus Snape, but yes, that's <laughs> the only one. Like he's the only clever one. Yeah. Like he has like actual plans and stuff. He's a little bit of an incel. Voldemort is, you know, is pretty interesting too. No, you he's don't the worst. think so? No, but that's he's okay. stupid. He's the dumbest <laughs> wizard ever. Like he cares. He cares more about making a speech than getting something done. Yeah, he's male. It's his ego. <laughs> I mean, Harry gets it done. Yeah, he's humble. He's but he's male. Yeah, but he's humble. Yeah, but he's humble. <laughs> Harry's not that humble. He's Dude, more humble than Voldemort. He's a little bit of a shit. A oh bit. yeah. I mean, when was it written? The characters are really bad. Like Hermione's okay. Snape is like Dumbledore is kind of shitty too. Oh, you can't say that because I love Dumbledore. He's oh, I don't know. He's Aggie. I think it's because you haven't the read the book. It's a different uh, character, like it's a different actor too, though. Like the actor yeah, is yeah, a little yeah. more aggressive. Harsh. The second actor is more. The aggressive. other one is more twinkly. Yeah, more. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> no, stop it. We can't talk about this because you didn't read the book, so you don't know anything. Also, I, I know that J.K. Rowling is problematic, but super problematic. I know. Like, horrible. <laughs> I just. She's so bad. I love the book so much, and I struggle with that in my heart. <laughs> with her transphobia and yeah, racist elves. I'm not about that. <laughs> I'm not about that. <laughs> but I love the books. <laughs> I struggle. That's so funny to me. I'm not about that. <laughs> oh, man. That's so great. Why can't anything from the 90s be good anymore? <laughs> um, like, it's all like. Animaniacs is still good. And you have to be like, <sighs> no, dropped it. Dropped, dropped the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that my childhood? Is Harry Potter a 90s book? Did it start in like 98 or something? I don't I know. I think it did start in I think it started in like 98. Yeah. I don't know. 
don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, no, I would actually like share the show with my enemies if I knew, like, if I knew they didn't like the show, I'd be sharing it with them like every week. Like, I just said they'd have to block me. Um, what else? Oh, yes. Uh, that was yeah, kind of my rap. 97. Oh, yeah. 97. I was all right. I was close. 98. Um, as always, uh, have a good morning. Have a good evening. Have a good day. Have a good lunch. Have a good dinner. Whenever you're listening to the show. Don't forget about um, breakfast. Or second breakfast. You didn't um, even say the first one. <laughs> I like to just skip to the second one. Uh, <laughs> um. Let's get out of here. Um, say bye to the people, uh, Sarah. Bye, people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Logan. And this has been the Milk and Toast Podcast, episode 32. And we out. Bye. Oh, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you.